Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Hello, church. Pastor Kent here. Great to be with you today. Hey, I wanted to say also, it was great to be with you last Sunday for our family cruise. I think we did a great job of practicing proper social distancing, and yet at the same time, we had some great socializing, which I think we really, really needed. Yeah. Let me explain this to you, okay? I had uh, shoulder surgery about a month ago. I tore my rotator cuff and there was some other pretty extensive damage in there. Physical therapy started this past Thursday. I have always wondered if I could preach with one arm tied behind my back. Well, we're going to get close to that today because this baby ain't moving. <laughs> I hope I can do this. I, I think I can. Hey, um, Pastor Austin is four weeks into a series on the book of Ephesians. And the very first week he mentioned that this was his favorite book in the Bible. I got to tell you, this guy has really good taste in Bible books because this is my favorite book also, probably because it sheds so much light on the truth of what the gospel really is all about, what a relationship with God should really look like, and, and how the Christian life is to be lived. Um, so today I get the wonderful privilege of sharing with you the second half of chapter two in this, this great book. So let me pray. I'll tell you where we're going. Father, um, I was thinking just early this morning, King David's prayer, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me into your everlasting righteousness. And I pray that for all of us today, that not only would we be open to your word, but we'd be open to your voice as well, and that you would show us our hearts and heal our hearts any place that they might need that. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read the passage. I'm going to connect it to what Austin talked about last week real briefly, and then we'll dive into the passage itself. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, the first half of that book has some amazing truths 
excuse me, the first half of that chapter has some amazing truths about who we now are in Christ. And one of the things that Paul so often does when he writes is he talks and speaks in contrast. He talks about how bad things are so that you understand the bad news, because I think that helps the good news be even, I don't know if gooder is a word, but be even better in terms of uh, what we now have. Austin did a great job last week of, of showing that same principle in the first half of chapter two of Ephesians. If you didn't listen or hear it, I would really strongly encourage you to go back and listen to what he had to say. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we move from the, the depths of sin and separation from God to a place of life, a life of meaning and purpose in Christ, all of it by God's amazing, amazing grace. Well, verse number 11 starts with this most important Bible word, therefore. And remember, um, I used to tell you all the time, whenever you see a therefore, you're supposed to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? And um, in this case, it's there to uh, call attention to and to remind us of everything that Pastor Austin talked about last Sunday and has been talking about actually the past several weeks. Well, it's using the same pattern here in this portion of scripture that he talked about before, and that is the bad news leads to the good news, which makes the good news even better. Paul now shifts to something that God has done and wants to continue to do beyond just for us as individuals. Rather, it's something that he wants to do in his church corporately. It's, it's actually something bigger and better than just what he's done for us. So first, the bad news, remember, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenant of promise. You had no hope and you were without God in this world. Wow, that's pretty depressing if it stopped there. Remember this, understand this, because it sets a tone for where this chapter goes. When Paul reminds the Gentile believers that their nickname was the uncircumcision, that was an incredibly derogatory racial slur. I mean, far worse than being called a stubborn German or a cheap Scotsman. See, I can say those two because I am both of those, but I want you to think of the worst racial slur that you've ever heard or maybe that you've ever been called. And that's what this was, to be called the uncircumcision was so derogatory. You see, Jews back then had an incredible prejudice against Gentiles. Some Jews, this is true, some Jews even believed that God created the Gentiles to act almost as kindling wood for the fires of hell. Nice, huh? Talk about prejudice, oh my goodness. Well, here Paul in some ways is also giving it back to the Jewish believers. Oh, you're not the uncircumcision, you're the circumcision. Well, aren't you something? Oh, oh wait, remember that you also, in your circumcision, all your outward behavior, got yourself nowhere. Sure, you're more religious than the Gentiles were, but you're still lost. And you see, it's a, it's a person's heart that God is after not their outward behavior or their religious forms. That's not what's important. That's why Paul wrote in Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but it's all about faith working through love. That's what God's really after. 
Well, again, this portion starts with a lot of bad news, doesn't it? Separated from Christ, alienated from the people of God, strangers to the covenant of promise, meaning you're ignorant of everything that could be yours. Add to that, you have no hope, you're without God. Now, that doesn't mean that, that these people were forsaken and forever abandoned by God. What it means is, Paul wanted them to understand, you're missing out on all that God has already done for you and the plan and the purpose that he has for your life. He wants you to experience this amazing, abundant, eternal life that can be yours. This is a little aside, but I think it's worth sharing because you could join me in this. With all that's going on with this pandemic, I'm really praying that God uses it to awaken people all over the world to their great need for God to be in their life, to be the solution to all that's going on, to give them hope, to give them purpose, to show his plan. I'm praying that, and I would encourage you to pray that also, not just for the people you know, but just that God does an amazing thing through this amazingly bad thing that's going on. Well, then comes a real pivot point. Very similar again to what Austin talked about last week. Last week he talked about, but God. When the story Paul shared moved from the bad news to the good news, but God, and that led into the good news. Well, this week it's a little bit different, but very, very similar. Verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The language here has a couple different layers of meaning to it. The blood of Christ, the cross of Jesus, has taken care of the sin problem and the separation from God problem because it's our sin that's caused the separation between us and God. Well, the blood brings us near. It has the potential to solve the problem of sin and separation in all of our lives. But you have to understand and realize this. Moving from far to near is great, but it's being in Christ that solves the problem, that activates what Jesus has done for you and me. And when I say to be in Christ, I'm talking about by faith, making a personal decision, a personal commitment to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's what it takes on your part to walk in and to experience all that he has done for you. If you've never done that, at the end of this message, we're gonna talk more about that and give you an opportunity to place your faith in Christ. Let's keep reading. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There's an emphatic emphasis here. It doesn't just say he did it or, or, or himself. It says he himself. And what it means is Jesus alone did something that no one else could ever do for you and me. And that is bring peace between us and God. You can't do that on your own. Only Jesus could. But it goes on to talk about something bigger. There's a bigger peace that God wants for us in this world. And it's a peace with others also. The scripture talks about a peace between Jews and Gentiles. What you have to realize is that a Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. So God's heart is that there be peace among all people. That's what he wants. We can now be one group, one man, known as Christians, Christ followers. The term dividing wall that's used in the scripture 
was a clear reference to Solomon's temple that existed in Jerusalem at that time. It was a poignant reminder to Jews, and if any Gentile had ever been there, he clearly knew what that dividing wall was talking about. You see, there literally was a dividing wall in the temple. There was the place the Jews can go, but then there was this wall that kept the Gentiles out in something that was called the court of the Gentiles. And there was a sign that hung on that wall. It was written in Latin and in Greek so that no one would mistake what it said. And it said, trespassers will be, no, not persecuted or prosecuted, executed. You see, the Jews were so adamant that there was going to be no mixing whatsoever with the purity of their religion and these Gentile people. But Jesus comes, and not only does he pay for everybody's sin that separates us from God, he abolishes the hostility that exists between the races. Let me keep reading. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Let me say it again. What Jesus did by dying on the cross was not only intended to take care of our sin problem and our separation from God problem, his sacrifice was also intended to abolish, to obliterate, to remove, to get rid of the hatred and the hostility that existed and frankly still exists among the races. When, when you use that word hostility, it's talking about ill will, suspicion, prejudice, hatred, all kinds of other things. And it's on both sides. It's on all sides in this, okay? It's not aimed at any one group. It includes feelings and behaviors, attitudes and actions that further continue to divide us. Through Jesus, God killed all of that stuff. But here's the reality. Even though it's supposed to be dead, we can keep it alive by fostering wrong attitudes and wrong behaviors. And that's what God wants to deal with in all of our hearts so that we're living in his will and following his direction in all this. You see, God in Christ created something new, not just a new and improved mankind, but a, a brand new mankind, what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 calls a new creation. And it's beyond, well, you know, one makes room for the other. It's talking about like a marriage. God's heart is that the two or the three or the 22 or however many ethnic groups and divisions there are, that they become one one new man. And, and Paul drives this radical point home um, in several of his other letters. It's not something we just find in Ephesians. In Galatians chapter 3.28, he writes, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 3, he writes, there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all and in all. It's a recurring theme throughout the New Testament that God's heart, his plan, is that we not just be reconciled to him, but one another as well. Now, I, I wanna be clear here, okay? 
this does not say that we all need to become little clones, all right? That we, as, as we're one new man, we always think and act alike all the time, every time. Far from it. God created people with differences and differences are great. I was thinking this morning about food. What if we only had one kind of food? I love pizza, but Italian again? Or Chinese or Thai or whatever kind of food you like. I mean, I love all kinds of food, but I, what I really love is variety. And that's what God is for in this, okay? We need to honor and appreciate and celebrate the differences that there are among us, but don't let them divide you. That's the problem. Don't let them cause stratifications in your thinking or, or your behavior as if, well, I'm better than or he's not as good as. We're not called to keep score like that. Those kind of things are called opinions and opinions are to be held very, very loosely. And when you don't do that, you kind of get in trouble. There's no place for ego in God's family, okay? Remember that our scripture today started with the word therefore, but the very next word was remember, because we have to remember that apart from Jesus, you and I are nothing. We're nothing, we're separated, we're lost, we're strangers, we're hopeless. Man, there's no bragging that, is there? No. But you also remember that it's 100% God's grace, but that grace is fully available to you and me. And that's what makes us who we are and whose we are from start to finish. You and I are who we are because, as we keep reading, Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Just remember, this ain't horseshoes. Okay, there's no points for close. Close is not good enough but it's what Jesus has done, not just to bring us near, but to provide that access to God. Verse 18 says, for through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You see, we have access. It's potential for us to appropriate what Jesus has done for us. And we do that again by believing and receiving what he did in his death, burial, and resurrection. I love verse 18 because I think it's a great reminder of the Trinity's involvement, the unity in the Trinity itself to bring about this, this oneness, us to God and us to one another. Through Jesus, we have access in one Holy Spirit to the Father. They are all keenly involved in this process of what God's doing. Well, here's Paul's conclusion encouragement, exhortation, whatever you want to call it, those things are all kind of rolled into one as he wraps up this chapter. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You and I read that, I, I think of the Statue of Liberty and Ellis Island. My son John went to college in New York City and on one of our trips to visit him, we went there and, and saw that and I was just so struck with the Statue of Liberty, what it represented, and Ellis Island, what happened on that island. It, it was a beacon of light for freedom, and it was a welcoming thing to strangers, to aliens, to foreigners. It's a place where aliens could become citizens, a place where hopelessness and despair that people brought with them got a fresh start. It was a place where exclusion had the possibility of becoming inclusion. And divisions had opportunity to become united 
in the 50 states of America. And yet, as wonderful as, a, as an example as that is, it pales in comparison to what Jesus has done and wants to do in his people. You know, when you think of America, unfortunately, we have a long way to go, don't we, in terms of living out this kind of unity that the Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island intended for all of the citizens of this country to have and to walk in. But it's not just America, it's the church as well. We've got a long way to go. And I'll come back to that when I finish this up. This, this plan and purpose of God to make us one, it says, has been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I think that could mean a lot of different things, but I think it's a picture of the totality of God's plan and purpose. Think of the apostles as the New Testament writers and those who were given revelation into the heart and plan of God. Think of the prophets as the Old Testament writers and those who also had revelation into God's intention. Everything we've looked at Paul and what he's written points to this God's heart desire for unity. But I was reading this past week in the book of Acts, that's where I'm at in my personal devotions, and you get to chapter 11 and Peter has this vision of this sheet coming down and there's all these unclean animals and God says, you can eat them. The point wasn't eating unclean animals as much as, because when you continue to read, you realize that God used that to open Peter's heart up to the Gentiles. And so the, the two kingpins, as it were, of the New Testament church, Paul and Peter, both had this revelation of inclusion. Okay, well, that's New Testament. What about the Old Testament? Go back to the book of Genesis. When God made covenant with Abraham, here's one of the things that he said. This is in Genesis 12, 3. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Church, it's been, God, it's been God's heart from the beginning to include all in the blessing, the plan, the purpose that he has for mankind. It's always been that way. One last point, and this is probably the most important point that there is. While God's plan, it says, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, their foundation had its own foundation as well. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. You see, it's not about my foundation, your foundation, anybody's foundation. It's Jesus who is our foundation. Everything in the church and in our lives, both individually and corporately, needs to be built on the foundation of Jesus. It's as clear as can be. But then it goes on to say a little more about that. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. So you see, Jesus is not only the foundation, he's also the cornerstone. Now, I'm obviously not a builder, okay? But I know a couple things, and one of them is the importance of a solid foundation in your life, in my life, and corporately in the life of this church. Folks, that was my focus for 40 years around this place, to build a solid foundation. And I can't tell you how excited I am that Austin and John and his staff and the elders and everybody in leadership is building on that foundation. Not my foundation, but the foundation I think I laid in God's word and, and on Jesus. But I also know the importance of a, a proper cornerstone 
You see, it might not be as important as a solid foundation, but man, it is really important. The cornerstone is the first stone set that leads to proper alignment and proper connection to every other stone that's laid in a building. You see, everything needs to be connected to and centered on that cornerstone. Otherwise, all you wind up building is a mess. So Jesus is the foundation. He is also that cornerstone. I want to be really clear on this point as well, okay? We don't have time to go there and look at it, but on your own, go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, because God there clearly calls his people to build their lives, to build the church on some essential biblical truths. They're, they're cornerstones, as it were, of his word. And it's what builds and develops what Paul calls the unity of the spirit. We do that here. We've always done that here. And I'm telling you, Austin is committed to that as well. So the future looks great. You see, we're not called to some spirit of unity. We're not called to, uh, hey, believe whatever you want. It's all good. Let's just sing Kumbaya, hug it out, and everything is fine. No, that, that's not biblical in any way, shape, or form. Now, we should extend grace and have great love for others who might not be walking in those essential truths, but we cannot compromise those essential truths in our own lives and in the life of our church. But I also want to say, I think this means we need to be willing to examine what we call essential truths. Because frankly, I think some churches have made an essential truth out of something that's really very secondary. And when you do that, you can erect walls. You can have man-made walls that divide you from your brothers and sisters. And that's never God's heart. Baptism, do you sprinkle? Do you don't? Scripture, is it King James only or this version only or that version only? What about communion? Should it be wine and unleavened bread? Or what about bread that's leavened or, or grape juice? Um, what about your worship style? What about spiritual gifts? I mean, on and on and on it can go. Now, hold on to your beliefs, okay? Hold on to your preferences. Have your opinions. That's great. Just do not let them divide you and separate you from genuine, true brothers and sisters. You see, it's as we are being built together by the Holy Spirit with Jesus as our foundation and our cornerstone that we become all that God has in his heart and mind for his church to be. We're not just a temple. And, and please understand this. To the Ephesians, they lived in the city that had the temple of Diana. That thing was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was amazing. The Jews, on the other hand, had Solomon's temple, a spectacular building as well. But God is saying here, Paul is saying here, he's got something so much more in mind, not just some building. We are God's holy temple. We're his dwelling place. That's what makes us so wonderful. And as we're being built in him and by him, he comes to dwell in us and with us by his spirit. In Psalm 133, David talked about the fact that when there was unity, God commanded blessing. And church, I want to say to us, we need to make it our pursuit to be walking in unity with brothers and sisters. Because I think to the, the degree that we don't do that, we might be missing out on some of the blessing that God wants for us as his people. You know, 
Let's be honest, when you look around the church today, not just ours, but any church, we are still under construction, are we not? Uh, there's a lot of messes. There's a lot of things that are yet unfinished. But God is at work, and he is doing something glorious that's going to last for eternity. We are, it says, growing into that dwelling place. It's a continual action that God is doing, but he gives us a glimpse of what it's going to look like at the end of the book. Let me read two short little passages from the Revelation for you. The first one is in Revelation 21, verses 2 and 3, where John writes, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And then in Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, After these things I look, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, get this, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and they cry out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, church, that's where we're headed. And I don't think we want to wait until we get there. God's heart is that we start living this out in the here and in the now. Sad to say, Sunday morning is called by many the most segregated three hours in America. I think that's changing, and I think that's great. And I think we as a church are doing our part. Um, we want to partner with and submit to all that God is doing with Jesus as our foundation and our cornerstone. That's why we pray for other churches and other pastors every week. We want that unity. That's why we strive to be both multi-generational and intergenerational, as Austin mentioned last week. That's why we are open to, even though Loveland has some limitations, to other ethnic groups. We want them to be a part of us and our fellowship. That's part of why we support diverse missions around the world that are ministering to a whole variety of different people groups. One of the most exciting, and I'll just take a quick minute to mention this, in Israel we support a ministry that Eric Benson is doing that is for drug addicts, but it is a bringing together, a unifying of Arabs and Jews in a way that you wouldn't even think possible apart from the Spirit of God. I'm so excited we support things like that. It's, it's just awesome. So we're doing all we can and all we know and are open to anything else God would want us to do to build and become this one new man that God longs for. So I want to pray for you in just a minute. I want to encourage you to uh, check the end of this email that includes the message because there'll be some great questions for you to talk to God about and to talk to one another about with regards to this issue of how do we become this one new man? But I said at the beginning, there was going to be an opportunity here at the end of the message for you to place your faith in Christ. And I want to do that, okay? So, if you have never given your life to Jesus and you realize whether it was listening today or over the course of the last several months or maybe this pandemic has had something to do with your heightened awareness that I need God in my life and you've never made that commitment, I just ask you to pray very simply with me. Repeat after me, pray with me along these lines. Father, I thank you for Jesus and for his death on the cross, for his giving his life for my sins, 
that I might be reconciled to you, that I might be restored to relationship with you, God. I believe and receive him today as Savior and Lord, the one who has paid the price for my sins, that I might come back home to you. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you. Tell somebody, let the church office know, let us know because we want to support you in this newfound commitment, this newfound journey that you've started as a part of the family of God, as a part of our family. And we're so delighted, so happy for you in that decision. Well, pray that you have a great tomorrow, a great Memorial Day, and Pastor Austin will be back with you next week. God bless you.